Welcome, once again, to Armchair Adventure, the first and only podcast to publicly call for the assassination of Dr. Anthony Fauci. If you are listening now, Paul and I are alone in the studio, furious. How are you feeling, Paul? I have never been angrier. This is... Folks, let me give you a little lesson in interpersonal relationships. One, punctuality is key. Um, dependability, key too. Not being Dan Gavin. It's three, and that's a Fuck big that one. that guy. We have been getting the workaround by this guy, let me tell you. We have been trying how many days now to get this done, Paul? This is supposed to come out uh, on, The uh, entire weekend. Yeah, this is supposed to come out on Friday, and I think Dan single-handedly to blame in it now being Monday. We, we jumped over Mother's Day. And uh, you know what? Paul, man of the people, he said, no longer can this stand. Uh, tonight's the night. And everybody was on board. Paul and I arrived in the studio, waited, well, geez, how long do you think? 30 minutes? Oh. Almost an hour, I'd say. With radio silence from our so-called co-host. And uh, not just a few months ago, we got the the weakest cop-out text. I've had a sore throat on and off for a week. I'm out. So here we are, charged, gassed up. I got diesel in my tank right now. And I wouldn't be upset if he didn't message earlier today. Or was it today or yesterday? Either way, yesterday. he said he would be good to record. He said he would be good. The the liar Dan Gavin said as a lie all over a sore throat. Over a, all over a sore throat. Dan the teacher can't talk through a sore throat. Believe it. Yeah. Yeah. He's out of practice. Fired if I was his principal. Be out on the damn street if it was up to me. Yeah, <clears throat> teaching rats. Yeah. In stinky Philadelphia, stinky scummy Philly. So he's dead to us. Mm-hmm. Speaking of dead to us, China, I guess. Well, Hong Kong, more specifically, is um, <laughs> yeah. is where we are. <laughs> Let's clarify. Yeah, <clears throat> please, <clears throat> Hong Kong. Uh, we are today going to be talking about a little spot called the Kowloon Walled City, which. Honestly, not uh, wouldn't be totally crazy if you're pretty familiar with this already. It's kind of it, I feel like it just kind of features in like cyberpunk type stuff and uh, uh, that kind of, Paul kept and saying Neo Tokyo. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a pretty it's probably one of the most famous slums uh, in the world, or at least it yeah. was. Spoiler: demolished. But mm-hmm. um, it is called. Kowloon Walled City, and that's a little, that's, the name is kind of, it's it's stuck around for a very long time, because it's not like a city in its own right, it's inside uh, the city of Kowloon, which is inside of Hong Kong, of course, the island of Hong Kong, uh, but it was a military fort for a very, very long time before anybody, uh, any, any civvies lived there. The settlement uh, has basically been on and off for the last 750 years, there's been military occupation there, uh, dating back to some Chinese dynasty. Probably would have been good to find out which one, but does it really matter? Uh, in 1842, though, the 
things start to change for Hong Kong a little bit. That's when the uh, part of Hong Kong was kind of, I, I don't want to say given to Britain because I think, um, I imagine Britain kind of strong-armed that. Oh, yeah. I was I was also seeing that, like, similar to how Britain had Hong Kong and uh, Spain had Macau, or no, Portugal had Macau, sorry. Yeah. Um, the French and Germans also had things like this. I just don't think they necessarily stuck around as long. Probably as many, like, right during that time, obviously, a little later, but... And they probably also, like, didn't turn out to be um, large cities, like Hong Kong and Macau. But when this land was given to the British, the military kind of aspect was dialed up a little bit for this fort, the Kowloon Fort, because they didn't want any British influence to really creep in, so they thought they'd kind of build up the walls really seriously and garrison there. And then in 1898, even more land is given to the British, or received by the British, to put it a little more neutrally. The fort is still not part of this. Uh, the, that was allowed to stay under Chinese control, as and, and so were the 700 or so uh, officers and such living inside, so long as they did not interfere with British Hong Kong. And I, I don't know exactly what capacity that means, but probably, like, stay, stay there. Don't, you know, trot out and start parading through the streets. You're in the military. What do you, what do you call that? Uh, Marches. Uh, um, yeah, uh, parading is, I guess, a classic. Yeah, <laughs> the military do love their <laughs> parades, don't they? We just love walking <clears throat> around places. You know what? I'm very sorry, but how, Paul? I got to ask you, what are your thoughts on the that Blue Angels flyover that happened in New York? <clears throat> do you? That seems like kind of just like an empty gesture to me. Yeah, it's just like, like I feel like a lot jets. of cool. Like, you'd be surprised how many like squadrons, like flying squadrons, have been doing that lately. Yeah, like the Montana Guard did that the other day to like respect nurses and medical care. Yeah, people. Um, well, I think it's just well, and you know, this is it is coming from somebody I I watch like I've watched a hundred times. Uh, videos of like b2s flying over sports arenas because i'm like fuck that's so yeah. cool but this like, this one just seems it's it's like the celebrity imagine video it's just like kind of what is, it, what is mean, that doing what are you what well, are you hoping to and help? that's that's the thing it's so random the whole idea is just as a recruiting tactic you know they go right. to these big f- summer festivals and stuff like that and fly and to inspire young kids to be pilots but you know that's all it is yeah in 1899 this is shortly after the fort had been beefed up quite a bit. Um, the British start to get a little suspicious. They think the the official that lived inside this was the Viceroy of Canton, which I'm guessing is like probably what like Cantonese comes from. Probably. Um, I same. love that title, though. The Viceroy. I love to be a viceroy. Yeah, do, do you first hear of it in Star Wars? Is that is that where you got the? Absolutely, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I don't know of any viceroys besides the viceroys from Star Wars. <laughs> That's it. Um, and just for reference, that is the modern day Guangdong in China. 
so the British thought that this viceroy was using the fort as a way to kind of like an entry point for troops to come in and kind of stir up dissent against the new British rule. So the famously pacifist British Empire uh, says no, and they kick in the doors. They sack the fort in April of 1899, and uh, all they find is the diplomat, which, interestingly enough, because I just said Cantonese, the title of these diplomats was a Mandarin, and that was kind of like a politically elite scribe. So I'm wondering if that was where Mandarin comes from, is like that was the language they used as scribes. But uh, I don't know. Should have looked it up, didn't. After the uh, sacking in 1899, pretty much left alone until 1912, when the Qing Dynasty of China came to a close. And I'm pretty sure that was the end of Imperial China. Um, and the rest of Hong Kong is at that point ceded to Britain. In um, in an agreement that I think July first, nineteen ninety seven, was when Hong Kong was handed back to the Chinese. But between that time, nineteen twelve, and I think I feel like this the actual um, agreement for that to happen happened before nineteen twelve. I think it was like eighteen ninety. It might have been eighteen ninety nine or eighteen ninety eight, and I think it was a ninety nine year deal they made where uh the british would have yeah. control of it for 99 years because it was like a lease yes wasn't it yes but i i mean and a lease but i i'm pretty sure like i said that that was kind of strong-armed on them onto them oh, because it was absolutely. a very weak government so so i guess that means from 1898 to 1912 hong kong is under british control but the Qing dynasty is still obviously ruling uh mainly in china but then in 1912, the dynasty's over, and all of the rest of Hong Kong is ceded to Britain. The British did not really care about uh, Kowloon. They, you know, there was a lot more to focus on in Hong Kong. Very important trade location, so some, you know, some settlement. They didn't really give a shit. Basically, for decades, um, went untouched, and a Protestant church ended up setting up an old folks' home in the long-abandoned Chinese administrative office from the fort called a yamen, like ramen, but with a Y. In fact, uh, this was kind of funny. The On a, a map, a British map from 1915, the Kowloon Walled City was just marked as Chinese town. Um, the very the, first Chinatown. Yeah, the very, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> the, the very one first Chinatown. Um, and it was just, at that point... It was just three buildings. It was that Yaman, the old folks' home, and a school. That is how it stayed pretty much until World War II, when the, uh, again, famously pacifist uh, occupying Japanese forces, who did not, and I want to be clear about this, did not commit any atrocities in China during World War II. Couldn't hurt a fly. Could not hurt a fly, these folks. Um, They demolished the rest of the... Wall, original walls from the fort because they wanted to repurpose the stone to build an airport nearby strategic airport but it's still there today by the way don't remember the name of it sorry don't want to look it up man i should stop publicly <laughs> saying what i'm not gonna nah. find out <laughs> 
the um, but after the war, the city uh, had kind of a return to form, and uh, a bunch of people who were fleeing China uh, after the war. There was a bit of a nasty little civil war in China. Uh, you may have heard of it. Ever heard of a guy named Chairman Mao? Some of these people didn't really agree with the good chairman, and uh, a lot of them fled to the island known as Taiwan. That is basically the bastion of the old Chinese government that did not bend and uh, bow to Mao and his cronies. But uh, so about two thousand. No bending of the knee. No bending of the knee. These people, the Republic of China, relocates to Taiwan. To about two thousand of these people that are fleeing China, uh, roll up on the Kowloon Walled City and just squat in it. They don't, you know, they're not going to buy property or anything. They don't care. They just want somewhere to stay. So they end up squatting in the city and build some huts. The huts, of course, don't think like, you know, mud huts, but shanty housing, like corrugated tin and, you know, just Mm. the kind of shit that doesn't really make a good house. But um, Because this is what, the 1950s? Yes, this is like late 40s, early 50s. The occupying British government did make an attempt to drive them out, but that's 2,000 people who don't want to leave, and they didn't care enough, so they just said, okay, and uh, stopped caring about the Kowloon Walled City pretty much entirely. What do you think, Paul, as a man who took a few political science classes, what do you think happens to an ungoverned people? Oh, they just do whatever they do the whatever they, they want. want. You're absolutely right. Anarchy. Anarchy in the UK. This is a big uh, problem. The The fact that the British didn't really want to touch it, and these people had, they are like sworn dissidents, expatriates of China, so the, yep. the Chinese government that's there now, that is not their government, doesn't care about them. They don't really have anybody telling them what to think, what to feel any of that so crime starts a brewing uh substantial crime we're talking opium dens prostitution gambling the three big vices i would say drugs sex and uh, gambling paul crime obviously stepping up have you ever heard of triads have you ever heard the term triad because that is that is kind of an important concept here and they i know they still exist so you've heard of it yes I've heard of it. Um, in a few words. I don't know if they're as prominent, but... Right. In a few words, what is what is a triad? Basically, I would compare them to the Yakuza. Right. Um, you know, organized crime, you know, kind of those crime mob boss style family. Yeah. Um, it's probably a little more broken up, but I don't know. It is. I compare it to that. It is a little more broken up, but here's the thing. This is beginning in the 1950s that these triads start uh, having kind of a grasp on the Kowloon Walled City. And two of these groups, by the way, two of the prominent ones back then, 14K and the Sun Yi An, both of those still exist today and are still uh, criming it up in Hong Kong. So this, between 1973 and 1974, that's kind of considered the peak of the crime. 3,500 police raids occurred. In the walled city alone. And in that stretch of time, over 4,000 pounds of opium were seized 
Holy cow. And well over 2,000 arrests were made. Now, something to consider is during this, throughout this whole time, the Kowloon Walled City is growing and growing and growing. If you'll recall, just a few moments ago, uh, no arm of any government is is willing to oversee these people. So all of this construction is just completely hobbled together. There's absolutely no regulations, no oversight, no businesses probably. You know, it's just people literally building them. Yeah. And so there's a couple problems here. One, they can't really expand outwards from where they really are without really attracting the attention of, uh, like, the British occupying government. So they have to go up. They do go up, but there isn't any sort of rhyme or reason to where they go up. So they're all kind of like, it's like if a really young and stupid child was, was building with Lincoln with Logs. Lego, yeah, Legos, or just kind of, just wherever the hell he wanted to put pieces. stacking them. Yeah. Yep. And sometimes 10, 10 to 14 stories high, these people are just like building up. And it isn't very safe. First off, uh, both structurally and what once were open-air walkways are suddenly now like enclosed alleyways with streetlights indoors. And um, these, these alleyways are only like one to two meters across. It's tight. It's dark. It's dirty. Um, you know, there's a dude dead of an opium overdose on the ground next to you while you're walking through here. Kind of a scary place. Uh, and so by the peak of its growth, uh, r- roughly around the seven, same time, the 70s, this is basically an indoor city that is standalone. It, it's, it's weird to think about because it's called the Kowloon Walled City, but that's like that's a name that's been around a long time. And this is when it's actually like kind of becoming its own cohesive city with, with like, you know, an identifiable yeah. population. At its peak, there are 33,000 people living in this city spread across 300 buildings in what is roughly a seven acre area so what that means is a visual that maybe the average listener out there could identify with a little bit that is like squeezing 33,000 people in an area about the size of two standard walmarts that's crazy the population density if you put it on a metric that's used for most countries, we're going to use square miles in this case, people per square miles, it is a population density of 3.25 million people per square mile in 1987, which is makes it the most densely populated place on Earth. And uh, you might be thinking, how, how do you fit all those people in that, that much area? Well, the average apartment size was roughly 250 square feet. Practically, what does that mean? I'm very bad with with uh, area. I am uh, terrible with area. <laughs> well, when it comes to houses, I'm the same way. A normal. I'm not even area. sure that there's any factual basis t- to house uh, square footage. I I think it's I totally. I think a lot of it's with... made up. Yeah. Because what's the square footage of a staircase? Oh, you... it, to me, it's God. none. Yeah. Because <laughs> you don't it's... you don't live on a staircase, but to someone else, there's some math yeah the staircase is an activity it's not living space it's you you have to do it it's work it's work okay exactly (laughs) um but what so 25 by 10 foot room yeah 
That's like um, I mean, easy math there, but like that's pretty much the size of like our dorm room. About right? a twelve by twelve, probably. Yeah, probably yeah. a dorm room. Um, close to that. Yeah, because those were a little more square, but I think um, you know, you bump up the ten a little bit and bump down the twenty-five a little bit. Like twenty-five by twenty-five, or excuse me, twelve by twelve. Yeah. Right. Well, that's yeah. So About. that's hundred. Would be like twice that, right? Because that's one hundred and forty-four square feet. Oh shoot, my math is way See, off. See, this today. is we shouldn't be dealing in area. This, this is, is why we don't. Yeah, area, we're not in the housing God. market. You gotta multiply why, shit. Though? We got logarithmic. Ugh. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> so what this what this translates to is, um, you cook and you sleep in your apartment, and where the actual like social interaction went on is one of two places that that yaman the um the old home of the the mandarin the diplomat that became like basically a community center and people would gather there just to chat there were like tea houses there there were televisions probably probably not too many televisions elsewhere um and then the rooftops. The uh, the rooftop was kind of its own standalone area that was rife with like kids running around. There's clotheslines, um, you know, water towers, radio antenna, television antenna, etc. And people would just hang out up there because it was like they set One up spot to get fresh air. Exactly. That's like the only open air spot. Um, probably not a terrible view, you know. Um, and it's, since they're all kind of varying in heights between like 10 and 14, there's kind of like a network of bridges and ladders that, um, everybody can just kind of traverse freely. And I think that's where a lot of the, you were saying there, there was a little bit of charm to the idea of living there. That's where the fun is, is the rooftop living. You can just totally explore, yeah. you know, and meet new people like that. That's crazy, though. Uh, and much like much like almost every other episode, I encourage you, look up pictures, not just of the outside. Look up, there's some excellent photo essays and stuff, especially on the, um, the website Atlas Obscura. There's some excellent photos of what it was like kind of walking through here. They followed a mailman around for a day there's one mailman that served this whole thing because it's you know it's a small area but um and who's getting mail really come on at the eight in the 80s 33,000 people well yeah possibly I mean, what, are they, what are they getting that's a Credit lot of card mail. offers like what it's uh, it's the 80s I, in a slum. I don't know well chinese mail chinese yeah, communist chinese mail you're just getting propaganda dude yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it have you been to the bread line today this dirty, dirty town uh, full of dirty people. And by dirty, I mean criminals. It's begun to attract some attention. The uh, Hong Kong government eventually assigns special divisions of the Kowloon Provincial Police to basically constantly monitor and patrol the area. And after about a decade of work, by 1983, the Hong Kong police consider the crime rate in check. At, at standard levels for the city of Hong Kong, but a slightly more insidious uh, enterprise took over in its place. 
something that the police didn't care about. Uh, black market medical procedures became very common, uh, done by unlicensed doctors and dentists and plastic and oral surgeons and the like. You could just go there and get whatever done. It's like kind of, I guess, how Mexico is for us. It seems like you can get anything done in Mexico. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you don't have personal experience, but it seems like... Um, no, I don't. <laughs> cheap plastic surgery or i feel like that's probably a little stereotypical at this point you think that's a little hollywood a little maybe uh, a little hollywood i a mean a bit of canes and watching too much television you could say that like you know you go to any boondocky town and there's some sketchy ass doctor there but yeah then that's living i would love to be a sketchy black market doctor because you could charge whatever you wanted yeah. i mean what are they going to do go yeah. somewhere else yeah. No, uh, they can't. I'll give you plastic surgery, but you have to give me a kidney. Could you, yeah, could you imagine? I, I definitely trading in body parts. If you had to do some sort of plastic surgery, like right now, what do you think? Uh, like, if, you, if somebody came to you, Paul, and was like, give me lip injections, what would you do? How would you perform this surgery? How I would perform? Yeah, what would you put in the lips? Like, give them lip injections? Yeah, because I'm saying you right now. Like, you don't have access to... Right now silicone or whatever the hell they put in the lips uh, yeah i think that's what it is what do you think just what is the next closest jello <laughs> no jello in there? nothing food based yeah i, I think i'd have to like melt something down i'd have to like melt down some like rubber oh. or plastic or something yeah hot and glue gun inject that <clears throat> something yeah god but i do want to touch base have you ever seen the movie Jin Ro? no i haven't what is that um, I forget if it's supposed to be. I believe it's Japan, but or it's Il Yang. That's the yes, oh. Il, Il Yang Jin Ro. Oh, um, okay. And if you've ever seen it, you've probably seen him. But the Wolf Brigade, that's the immediate image I thought when you said um, they develop a special police division. Oh, really? And they basically look like souped up like mechanized Nazi oh wow like it's like the kettle helmet and like mass yeah and giants like MG42 machine guns that's oh, nice. immediately what I think yeah, crazy like police division going after the triads um so this is this is really <clears throat> taking us out of here but uh, I was talking to uh, uh Greg the other day and he was telling me about the um I don't remember the name of the leader but it was this uh this Chechen and Ooh, he had yes. like the, the, I think the kind of like big dog Chechen. I don't know if he's still alive, but that one who was, you know, King of the Russian Muslims. And he had like a kill squad, like a personal kill squad. Oh yeah. And uh, he was telling me that they would do like, they would pull people over if they were, if they needed to like get them, they would pull people over Ooh. and then uh, they would have like a shovel, like a metal shovel. And this dude I guess I guess Greg saw a video of it going down. The dude with the shovel walks around to the like front side of the car and just whacks the windshield so that it completely shatters and you can't see out of it at all. And so they can't drive forward and then they pull the driver's side out and they kill him with the shovel. And, but Holy it, cow. it's crazy that they did that with the shovel just cuz like Greg was saying they basically have like repurposed American SWAT gear. They have just like whatever they can oh, yeah. buy that's like you know, oh, ta yeah. vaguely tactical. So yeah, like, I forget. Because the Chechen Wars were, what, late 90s? 
Sounds right. Right before <laughs> 2000, I think. Okay. I and mean, it was after the fall of the Soviet Union. Sure. But like, sure. you know, they're just grabbing whatever leftover from the Gulf how, War. And Do you know how long have the Chechens been? Was, was that, did the Soviets deal with the Chechens at all? Or did that come like after? Oh, it was a war. There were like two or three wars. Oh, the, with the Soviets? Between the Soviets well, and Well, with the... the Russians. So this is all post Right, USSR. but I'm saying, did, did the USSR ever deal with Chechens, or are Chechens something that came after the fall of the Soviet Union? I think it was more so after, because, like, the problem with the Chechens and, like, like uh, I think it's Dagestan or hey, Dagestan, um, like, all these countries are popping up, you know, Poland and Hungary, everyone's getting their freedom. Yeah. But Chechnya didn't. Right, okay. They just you know, so they Russia. were practically another. They could have been another country. So they're to- where Russia's like, no, we need this land because that's where all the oil is at. Okay. So we can't give that one up. Sorry. Classic. Classic Russians. They, well, right? just um, I gotta say, man, oil has done a lot of bad things. Uh, There's for, a commonality. A lot yeah. of things we've been doing lately. Oil's, oil's a bit of a problem, I would say. <laughs> yep. Um, Hopefully we can move past it soon. I hate to say it, but um, coming back to the Kowloon Walled City, we're pretty much at the end of the story. Um, In 1984, uh, the Chinese and British governments, they met to kind of iron out the details of how the transition was going to go once uh, Hong Kong was handed over back to the Chinese on the 1st of July, 1997. Part of this agreement was both sides agreed to raise the walled city. And that is, of course, R-A-Z-E, total destruction. They both agreed that it was no good and should go. And go it did. 1987, the announcement is made to the people of the city that it is to be demolished and turned into a park. That park, by the way, still around today. Looks pretty beautiful. Didn't want to get into it because talking about parks is pretty boring. But it is uh, it is a very, very handsome park. The British government in this transitional period ended up paying about 350 million U.S. dollars worth of money to the residents to relocate. But uh, much like stories we've talked about in the past, some of these people did not want to go. So uh, they were forcibly removed. Simple as that. Uh, demolition began on the 23rd of March, 1993, and I assume just because of how um, stitched together and kind of piecemeal this this whole place was, it took about 13 months to demolish the whole thing. Because I guess you can't just, you know, rig up charges like a normal building. No. Or maybe they, you know, but why not? Maybe they wanted to, like, strip well, all the wiring, I don't know. Who knows? Because, like, when they, like, demo those, like, normal skyscraper buildings, they know they can just place a bunch at the bottom and it'll fall straight down. This is so (laughs) crazily put together. (laughs) This thing could, like, blow away in the wind for all we know. Like, (laughs) It's like a hydra. You demolish part of it and another part just pops up over there. Yeah, that's right. What? Um, So this, the, the problem with the Kowloon Walled City, kind of its public image, and I should say, as time goes on, it's kind of moved away from the negative public image. Just it, it had sort of this drug criminal underworld 
Uh, that's what everybody thought about it for the longest time. But in reality, like, a great, great majority of the people that lived in there were just normal people who did not have a lot of money and had fallen on hard times. They weren't criminals. Criminals lived there, but that's just a result of nobody ever coming in to, you know, police or do anything. It's a bad neighborhood. You know, it doesn't yeah, mean everyone exactly. in the neighborhood's bad. It's just a bad neighborhood. Yeah. I mean, that's true everywhere. The, exactly. The poor neighborhoods always get kind of a bad rap just because that kind of stuff is... Poor neighborhoods are a breeding ground for uh, that kind of stuff. Hard times, bad times. But, uh, you know, just there was actually a pretty rich sense of community. And uh, a lot of these people got along very well and would help each other out. What el- yep. I mean, what else to say? It's just... Um, that is a moment lost in time. We will never, there will never be well, anything like that. I kind of, I kind of compare it like, you. I think you saw a lot of it during all this coronavirus stuff too. Is like, these Italian cities, these like Spanish cities, like a lot of these European cities, they have kind of similar, like setups. You know, these like flats and apartments and oh, stuff yeah. like that where. Yeah, clothes lines and stuff going oh, across, well, and people hang out on roofs and whatnot. How like, about British favelas? It's not, I mean, Brazilian uh, favelas, sorry. <laughs> a little different. <laughs> yeah, um, big time. Well, I mean, that's. I think that's where you just see it is, like, China's so dense, Rio de Janeiro is so dense yeah. with people that, you know, not everyone can have their own yeah, little both developing flat. countries. Both developing countries, very yeah. much so, but, you know. This whole favela, like, kind of slum stack style housing is not uncommon. Yeah. I mean, I guess it kind of happened in uh, in America even, right? Wasn't that what Hoovervilles were? They were just kind of like, I mean, they weren't Basically, obviously the same thing, but like. Well, I mean, that's where you like get shanty towns, towns yeah. from. That's like the word where shanty comes from, so. Really? Do you know why? Yes. What is the, where did shanty come from? Well, Was it related to sea but, shanties? What's going on there? Because one's a song of. and one's a city. Or town, right? I mean, well, I mean, but like a shanty, like you know, growing up in Wisconsin, a shanty was always referred to as a little shack out on the lake during winter Ooh. to go ice fishing. Okay, in. so basically, a shanty is basically just a really rickety shack that you put together just to get out of the weather. Um, so when Hoovervilles start popping up, you know, they call them shanty towns because they looked like. Yeah. Just a bunch of shanties, you know, put together, basically. So where does the, um, is there any correlation at all between shanty and that term and then like a, like the song, like a sea shanty? I'm trying to find out I, right now, but okay, we got it right here. They are two words spelled exactly the same from different language roots that mean totally different things. The oh, Really? The shanty, as you have been using it, is uh, from Canadian French chantier, which is a lumberjack's headquarters. Mm. And then the shanty, like the song a sailor sings, is from the French chante, meaning to sing. Oh. Go figure. Both French, though. Yeah. Just Canadian Canadian French French and and regular French. Well, and you know what? I bet both of those people would tell you that there's a big fucking difference. Oh, I don't think absolutely. I don't think the French Canadians like the French and vice versa, which I don't like either of them. So I don't care about their <laughs> petty squabble. 
<laughs> I rise above. Now, Paul, you and I, as <clears throat> members of uh, the Delta Force, uh, Dev Dev Gru, oh, yeah, you and uh-huh. you you and I both as <laughs> Keep going as uh, members of the military special forces. <sighs> what kind of bombs would we drop on Catlin Walt City? Ooh. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't answer. Do not answer that. Don't act like you're interested in answering that question. Um, Oops. Uh, yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, oh, I was kidding too. Uh, uh, I mean, do you got any? Do you got any any thoughts, Paul, or any anything point of discussion you want to make? Because without, yeah, the, I gotta um, say, I was I was pretty pretty mad at Dan at the beginning, but oh, uh, I feel like he, he absolutely mad he, because I think this is probably I don't want to say right up my alley, but one of the cooler. Well, again, not like not a good thing, but I just think it's so cool. It is. Like, it's cool as hell. Of like stacks and like dense buildings. No, this and, is like, literally a city um, by the people for the people. There was no no nothing else involved. For other sure, than the and like there. it's very like slum ridden because it's all just piecemeal together, and there's a lot of poverty. But like you know, it gives off that futuristic Neo Tokyo. Um, yeah, kind of like idea that i just love you know right. if you were to like apply this a thousand maybe two thousand years from now when technology Jesus. is caught up to oh yeah no i mean definitely it's not not recent or not like a near future but we like I, when technology is it's like sur- way surpassed what it is now yeah i think this would be a very viable like way of living because you know going back to the oil going back to energy and all these like things like yeah you know that like sci-fi mentality. Sure. I think that just makes it way cooler. Yeah, my only my only uh, quabble with that. Two thousand years from now, partner, I'm going to be my my consciousness is going to be suspended in like a cloud of, of fucking radioactive dust. There's not the we, oh yeah we can't even begin to speculate what the world is going to look like two thousand years from now. Yeah, no way. It will be um, nothing. But like that's life the great. As we know it. That's what makes it so fun, though. Yeah, because it literally can be whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah! I mean, that's I mean, why. You, yeah. If you can, yeah. If you compare it to like, I mean, Tokyo, like legit Tokyo now a little bit too. Like they have those hotels that yeah, are just pods. Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. You know, which obviously cramp very non-Western style living, yeah. but uh, it is. I think that's interesting. It is interesting that um, I feel like there's some things where when you really think about them, it's like, oh, we are kind of like just being slowly dipped into the future. You know, it's it's obviously the, oh, yeah. the change is too slow for us to, like, really perceive it. But then when you think about, like, just, like, uh, the smartphones, internet, the like, internet. like There's so many things that, like, even just 30 years ago. Even, like, like uh, high school, early high school, true. smartphones was, like, yeah. very few people had them. Yes. And now it's, like, it, fucking homeless people have smartphones, dude. Like seriously, and it's like, yeah, what the fuck? Right. Everybody now is in this web. We're all fucking intertwined all of a sudden, and it just happened. Everything was way different some eighty years ago. I just oh always God. think about like you know what does fifty years from now look like? Yeah, if only like ten years. Well, yeah, have it gone seems by. like it seems like um, ever since like computers, man, it's like the growth is like exponential. Mm-hmm. the the advancement so it's like that's why 2000 years is such a crazy like projection because it's like oh yeah what's what's it going to look like 100 years from now 
Yeah. Even that's going to be and wildly like, different. And that's what they say too is like, you know, they compare it to the industrial revolution as like the what global communication re- revolution or something they called it at once. Oh, okay. Where the internet's and yeah. phones and just, you know, all of that uh-huh. so you can communicate to anyone anywhere. It's like what's next? Right. Like well, hopefully it's energy. Well, here cuz I think that'd solve a lot yeah, of problems. Oh my god. That would solve every problem. Not every problem, but a lot of problems. If we had just an abundance of clean, cheap energy. Here's one thing. The Industrial Revolution and its consequences have been a disaster for the human race. Your thoughts? Yes. Um, a lot of bad things. A lot of bad things. But, you know, I feel like you have to make mistakes to get it right once. Sure. Um, you know, so now I agree. I feel like we've sorry come a long ways from that time, but um, you know, you gotta learn from your mistakes. Okay, yeah, and I look, I agree with you one hundred percent. But uh, how does it make you feel that that was what uh, what you just agreed with it was the opening line to the Unabomber manifesto? <laughs> oh, yeah. don't even start trap joke, like, bitch. So, <laughs> so gotcha. Living in Montana. Oh, yes, of course, where Ted Kaczynski Lincoln, had his cabin. Lincoln, Montana, where he had his cabin. Yeah. Um, surprisingly, like, there are... People are on board? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I've met a couple people that are, like, on board. More so his manifesto than, like, what he well, actually look, did. And I got to say, because I literally... <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't mean to get into this. <laughs> um, I have been like I have been reading the Unabomber Manifesto on my Kindle. Okay, and uh, yeah, because it's like that's hard to tell people when they're like, "What are you reading?" Well, uh, but it's not like the, it has nothing to do with bombs. You know, it has nothing to do with hurting people. He did the bombings to bring attention to the manifesto, which yes, absolutely a misguided. I like totally. Oh yeah. What the fuck were you sure. thinking? But. Um, the the I think the actual manifesto, like from a philosophical standpoint, a lot of people agree is pretty airtight. It it makes some very valid criticisms of what technology has done to us. Yeah. And I haven't read it like where we're going page to page, but like, like you said, I think you we talked about this once before. Um, it's basically just we're just ahead of where we should be or something. Yeah, yeah, and it's like I was thinking about this at work the other day, while I was doing my menial labor um, when I have time to stew um, is like and just like how quickly technology is going man it's like it's like a potentially seriously deadly Trojan horse where there's just kind of like a a blind acceptance of of progress and like with no no thinking for what the consequences might be no especially with things like artificial intelligence we might open a door that we can't close you know we might do something that once it's once it's done, it's like, well, it was a good run, folks, <laughs> boys. Some, termi- some Terminator yeah. type stuff, yeah. But, uh, we, but yeah, I mean, obviously, the, the other side of that is like, technology has has done incredible things, and like, you know, medical technology yeah. is well, I think miles you're on ahead a, of where it's been ever before. You're on a good uh, idea string with that, though, because everything we've done before. It's up to human control. Yeah. But once those things start thinking for themselves, yeah, oh, it's totally out of our control, and well, that's really well, carried yeah, away. Yeah, I'm not saying like everybody needs to throw their smartphones away because you and I are literally we're looking at each other through webcams right now, talking <laughs> over yes. the internet at the speed of light. 
and that's great. But it is just something you need to keep in the back of your head. That mm-hmm. there is, you know, maybe just think about the consequences of, of where we're going. Where we're going faster than we know what to do with, really. Yeah, got to have those fail-safes. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, we got to have, uh, maybe just every year, we should just cull 20% of the population, just kill them. Just uh, at random. Yep, and we we call it... Uh, coronavirus yeah. or something yeah <laughs> that'd be uh a... <laughs> oh you dog <laughs> really convenient you absolute huh? dog. we just turned this into the joe rogan podcast buddy <laughs> oh no we did it. no yeah <laughs> um dude i hate to say it we gotta we gotta keep this going because we have we absolutely have to make the episode that dan is not on the longest episode yet oh absolutely. so <laughs> so let's see let's uh let me uh let me look at the files here yeah. What to, what topic can we bring up? We got a twofer today. Um, yeah, two, two topics, one episode. It went from Kellenwald City to two jackasses waxing philosophical about <laughs> something they probably aren't qualified to discuss. But not at all. Just kind of doing a little research off the cuff here, like you know, Mexico City has you know the favela style, very compact and dense along the hillside. I know I've seen pictures of Bogota. It's very similar. Oh, so yeah. like I think it's also geographic in a sense too. You know, when you've got, you know, mountains and or it's very like um rolling hills at least. Yeah. You kinda need the density because, you know Yeah, not a lot of flat dense, land, you uh, need to Yeah. You know. Yeah. Because a lot of them are like valleys or something like, like especially Bogota. Like I think it's surrounded by mountains. Yeah. So is so, so like, is like isn't Rio? Rio is too. Yeah. It's basically like the coast, a little bit of flatland, and then the mountains. Man, you know what I like about this low quality webcam? Uh, it looks like I have nice teeth when I actually. Don't. Oh my god! <laughs> Stop. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying, man. It's pretty easy to look at myself and. And when I hold a microphone like this, you can't tell I have a patchy, shitty beard. It just looks like a regular beard. <laughs> You're just a handsome man. I just I should just live you. on the webcam from now on. Yeah. Yeah. When we black out your face, you're a beautiful man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> man, you can't really see you. You look great. It's <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. I think I think maybe if I'm if I'm a little generous. Now maybe we cracked an hour in raw audio, but to be fair. This one's yes. going to be a little, little uh, rough around the edges, but uh, that's just the, that's the Kane and Paul difference. That's what happens when it's just the, well, okay, I will, I will refrain from referring to myself as military or first responder in any capacity for your sake. Um, wow. Doing that for you, I would say, two reckless explorers, two rugged individualists. Two Teddy Roosevelt types, really. You and I. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh yes. Really. Oh yeah. Just a couple of Teddies. Uh, so, and I got a big stick. Love if you that. know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, all right. You got anything else, or uh, you cool with? No, I think that wraps it up. Okay. Um, if you are listening to this on Monday through Thursday, there's going to be another episode on Friday. Which, mm. assuming Dan's dainty little sore throat. Uh, has oh, has uh, cleared up. Carry over the rest of the week. Dan yeah. Dan will be back. Um, and you know what? No, I'm not going to let him pick a topic. 
I think we both get maybe a combined five minutes of like uninterrupted bashing. Okay, that's start at top. Where of the he next. cannot res- yes, yes, where uh, well our, our warm up at least. Okay, um, where he cannot respond, but he just has to listen. Yeah, well, and even if he does respond, snipping it on the cutting room floor. <laughs> Nobody snipping. will hear what he has to say. Give him the old hook. Don't fall.